Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today I have Keely Rankin. She is a sex and relationship coach that specializes, I want to make sure I say it right, in male performance struggles. We have three different types of struggles that men have with their cocks. Seriously, it's the best way to put it. We're going to cover those today. Keely, thank you so much for being on. Please tell us more about you. How You're a woman that specializes in talking about penises all day. Why? How? Do you love this it? What are you doing? Tell us. <laughs> well, Jennifer, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here yes. to chat with you about this topic. Um, yes, I am a woman who spends most of my working days talking about men's cocks. This is very true. I mean, me too, but in a different way. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. The pathway into the male performance struggles actually came from um, some of my formative, one of my first times trying to figure out how to make intercourse happen. My partner suddenly couldn't have an erection. Like he was unable to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was, I think I was like 16. Is that right? And I was just, you know, I knew nothing about sex. I just knew that I loved this person. I wanted to figure out how to do this thing. We were really turned on by each other. But finally, when I was like, okay, the gates have opened, let's try to intercourse nothing could happen. And I was like, this is so fascinating. Like what is going on? So we tried to work through it and we did different things. And then eventually we were able to sort of try and figure it out. And then he came right away. And I was like, wait, wait, I don't understand. So we went from not be able to get hard to now suddenly like it's over really quickly, which welcome to the world of early ejaculation, (laughs) right? (laughs) Which is what is actually considered severe early ejaculation can sometimes look like ED. And then the moment that the erection shows up, the arousal moves super quickly. So that was sort of like my first uh, space around the first way that I got sort of connected to, I guess you would say, the the male performance struggles that are that are out there for people. And then as I uh, decided what I wanted to do as a profession, which is become a sex and relationship coach, I just kept getting so many clients with issues around cocks. It was like everyone showing up at my door was wanting to work on these these issues. And specifically around early ejaculation, as I started researching it, I found no one knew. The, the research was just terrible. People were like, stop, start method. Think about your grandma. Like, do all these kegel work, you know. Um, and it wasn't working for any of my clients. They were like, oh, I've done, I've tried that. This doesn't work. And none of this is working. Mm. So sort of formulated out a five-step model that I've had a lot of really, really great success with, luckily for all of the people that I've worked with, to move towards being able to be in relationship. What I talk about is being in relationship with your arousal, how hard your cock is, being able to connect with your body um, and learn about what actually is going on with the early ejaculation versus just tuning out, like thinking of trying to think about your grandma, which like... It's gross. Well, it's the... (laughs) The way I have started to, started to think about it was like, it's not the point of sex. The point is to not dissociate and go somewhere else. The point is to feel your pleasure and be connected to your body. Mm-hmm. And so to just invite in this, another idea of something that's not sexy, that's not even present with the person you're in front of is completely not the point of what people are wanting to actually be doing in those moments. Mm-hmm. So created a model for that. And then also working with, um, Uh, delayed ejaculation, which is where you're not able, this is obviously for men and for women, not able to find that place of release into Mm -hmm. ejaculation and orgasm. That has to be so frustrating. Right. 
Right. I mean, it's all frustrating, all of it, but especially as you're like, you're nearing the end and you're trying to finish it, you're right. doing all the things and you're just yeah. like, I can't come. <laughs> and I think men in that dynamic face a particular pressure because there's so much societal like oh men can just come really easily men are always coming women don't come it's sort of like in some way we've socialized to say like yeah it's more difficult for women than men so for those men who are unable to orgasm with their partners especially Mm -hmm. through like something like vaginal intercourse Mm -hmm. um you know it becomes really shaming and Mm. um you know many of the men I work with it, it really disrupts their relationships because their partners start to feel like you're not attracted to me. You don't like me. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong with me. So we can go into all of that. I'm and then so the- excited. Yes. <laughs> right. And the third. The third one is erectile dysfunction, which Viagra came out and made everyone know, you know, everyone knows a lot about that. So, but you know, not being able to connect with your, your cock and being able to feel the excitement move through your body and show up so you can have the type of sex that you want. So I'm excited. Let's just dive right in. <laughs> Let's I dive in. Me. I want to know all the things. I'm going to take notes while you talk to. Perfect. Great. <laughs> so where should we start? So let's start with the early ejaculation piece. Um, I'm trying to think like, have I ever had experience with early ejaculation? And I, maybe, especially mm-hmm. as you're younger and men are like right. fumbly and they're learning how to have sex with women and how to last longer. Right. So tell us a little bit about this. And especially as you get more mature, if you're in your forties or fifties or sixties experiencing this, right. it's not because you're a fumbly 16 year old anymore. Right. Well, I think, you know, I don't know enough about your personal dating history, but <laughs> <laughs> what can happen for men who struggle with with early ejaculation is that they would meet a woman like yourself who they would probably perceive having a lot of sexual expectations and they would take themselves out of the game. So you might be flirting with them at the bar. They learn about you. They figure out how connected to your body are, how sexy you are. And pretty quickly they're tallying up in their brain. I can't give this woman what she wants. And so they just remove themselves. Yeah. Is it a subconscious thing? Or is no, it it's very conscious. It's really? very conscious. Yeah. Because then why the- even go through the, po- like, why even have sex at that point? Why not just say you're too much for me? Right. Or, so well, I can't so handle you. This or- is happening before the sex happens. So this would happen. Like you're at the bar, you're talking, they get to know you a little bit. You think there's like a great flirting going on and very quickly they start to feel intimidated and will remove themselves. So that might be why you've never mm. really as an adult come across early ejaculators. They are very sensitive to shame and they feel extreme shame around how long they last and they will remove themselves actually from situations very, very early on. Sometimes they may, you know, some of the men I've worked with, it's like, they'll get the courage up to go out and start to talk with women. And they'll say like, I met this woman. I was so attracted to her. She was so beautiful. And I was like, I'm just going to let her down. And so I just left the bar, just left without giving my phone number or yeah, I know it's heartbreaking actually. You know, some of the men I've worked with, um, it's gone so far in that they've, you know, just sworn off dating altogether, moved in with their parents, were suicidal, just decided like, I'm never going to be able to please my partner in the way that I would want or the way I expect they I imagine she's mm. expecting that I should and so I'm just going to turn away from all of this 
Wow. This feels really extreme because what I had in my mind that this was, was you're having sex. They have premature ejaculation. Like they're, they're in it. They're out super fast. And what I have found, because I have had some of those happen, especially on a first sexual experience play date with someone is if the man is smart, he sticks around and makes sure that you're still super pleased. There's right. tongues, there's fingers, there's so many mm-hmm. other ways to give an orgasm. It sometimes is even better than penetration. Um, <laughs> is that still part of this first bucket or is that something different? So what's true and what I think all people having sex would behoove them to connect with is that penetration intercourse or you know, cock related play is one way of exploring sex. And there is lots of ways to find orgasm. There's lots of ways to feel connected and find pleasure and be sexy and exciting. But I think what's true about the the group of uh, men who struggle with early ejaculation is that they feel so, um, like they have no power because they aren't able to actually show up and engage in intercourse in any way that feels like something that has a certain t- time. It normally is a timing thing, right? Like they can't go a certain amount of time where they're able to create that type of connection with their partner. That it's ha- it all happens so quickly mm. that they they move to enter. They want to be connected in that way. And really what it is, what happens with early ejaculation, so there's a five-step method that I work with clients with. And is it step two? Yeah, step two (laughs) is learning where you are on your arousal curve and learning where you are on your anxiety curve. Because what happens most of the time, this, you know, I would say about 90% of the time with, with men who struggle with early ejaculation is that their anxiety curve and arousal curve are what I call married together. Hmm. So if you imagine imaginary curve, from one to 10, one being I'm interested in sex, four being I'm hard enough to penetrate, nine being the point of no return to orgasm, 10 being orgasm, they move not only up that very quickly, so they'll jump sometimes from like a one or a two to a nine, Yeah, but they're they're also jumping with anxiety. So the anxiety curve is on that same type of curve. And so as their arousal build, their anxiety also builds. It's almost, it is a fight or flight response and, and can turn into almost like a trauma response in the body. Mm-hmm. So as arousal builds, they feel more and more anxious in their body, more disconnected, more fearful. And the body just does what it would naturally do. It's either loses the erection or goes into orgasm because it's just trying to get away from the discomfort that it's experiencing. So one of the first steps in learning how to control orgasm is being able to separate the anxiety from arousal. So the arousal can go up and you can feel pleasure Mm -hmm. and not the anxiousness. So men who struggle with early ejaculation often don't even report their orgasms. It's not actually an orgasm. It's an ejaculation. It's not pleasurable. Um, they just feel embarrassed and ashamed. They weren't able to connect with what actually feels good about arousal, mm-hmm. oftentimes because it went so quickly and because the anxiety is sort of just clobbering the pleasure that would be available. Mm. So I really think of it as like, you know, in the very beginning of my practice, you know, men would show up and it'd be oftentimes I would get caught in this, like, oh, they want to learn to last longer for their partner. And now I'm like, no, 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 no. 
sure, that's a great long-term goal, but let's actually talk about your pleasure and let's put your pleasure first because the pathway to softening that anxious energy that takes you out and rides you right towards that ejaculation Mm -hmm. is is what we really want to sort of disconnect you from and help you reconnect with pleasure. And that's going to be the pathway forward. Questions. Yes, go for it. (laughs) It feels like what I'm observing as you're talking is you are having to repattern them to pleasure. So I'm curious, where does this patterning come from in the beginning of this? How did you word it? Early ejaculation. Is it something learned as you're, you know, quickly masturbating underneath the cover when you're 12? Is it something from porn? Is it something you're born with? Is it people that have really high anxiety? Like what would make a person maybe experience early ejaculation in the first place? Right. You know, it's interesting. I've heard all of the above. I don't, I wouldn't say there's like one surefire point. that's like, if you do that, you're going to have early ejaculation. I would say what's true is that oftentimes it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So we were mentioning if you're 40 years old and you're still ejaculating early. Yes. It doesn't just go for some men. Right. So if we have younger listeners for some men, as you get more comfortable with a lever and you have more sex and you feel more um, sexy and connected to your body, it may just disappear and go away for others though. It just builds on itself and it just becomes more of a, it's the only thing you're thinking about, which is often true in any sort of, um, performance related struggle. It's like, you become almost like overwhelmed by the concern of, is that going to happen to me? Mm -hmm. So it's both this, um, you know, this thing is happening to me physically and psychologically, I'm also right there with it. Mm -hmm. So when we want to treat early ejaculation or how to overcome it, it's both working on, can we physically teach the body a new way of being with arousal? And can we psychologically look at, go back, how did we get here? What happens when we're here? What do I think about sex? you know, how, what do I think about pleasure? I mean, all of that actually comes into the healing that, that needs to take place in order for someone to overcome the the struggle. Yeah. I imagine you like reprogramming through neurally, like rewiring and you're like unplugging here and like replugging back here. And then you're like, right. Okay. Now let's try that. Did that work? Okay, great. You're (laughs) healed. Yay. Now you're good. Right. I talk about it actually as like a building a house. So like the first step Mm. is clearing the foundation. And then we put the foundation on, I know this isn't actually how you build a house for the people who are in construction out there, but like, just for the the idea of like a model, it's like, we, we, we clear the ground, we put the foundation on when we put up walls and then we put the roof on. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that by the time you bring back a lover or partner that you want to be physically intimate with, that we have this really, really solid foundation and walls under you. So like putting the roof on is like actually sex with the person that you want to be with, that you're excited by. And if the roof falls in a couple of times, we still have this really, really strong foundation and walls under you that you don't completely lose yourself in the one time that you came quickly. Because what's true is it's an ongoing thing until it's not. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. it can feel like, oh no, this one thing happened and I didn't make any progress. And 
can't yeah. even imagine the anxiety that that these men are feeling <laughs> and i i went straight to prostitution Huge. in my head and i went to you putting the house on the building and i was like i can't believe sex work is still not legal because this would be such a great way to be able to like pay someone to help you practice right right or like you need a friends right. with benefits but like do you have a best friend that's willing to fuck you i don't know but it would right. be nice and there to be able to practice it. a very specific type of practice too, because mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, some of my clients do see sex workers in, in the process of working with this, if they, you know, are you know, for various reasons. And they'll often say they actually feel more pressure with sex workers mm-hmm. because the sex worker kind of doesn't care. You know, I think it all, obviously all sex workers are <laughs> very, very different in their care, but you know, there can be sometimes this pressure of like, well, she didn't really care. like, she, she wasn't invested in me connecting yeah. really with my pleasure and growing and expanding. It was sort of just like the, wanting to help facilitate an experience yeah. versus the growth. So it'd have to be a person who would be interested in really, um, helping people grow, which sexological body workers are great for that. Mm-hmm. Um, they can really be super helpful as well as, um, sex surrogates. They, they are also trained to really help. What is that. sex surrogate? I'm assuming oh, sex surrogate. My yummy. master's thesis was written around sex surrogacy really? actually. So yeah. Um, so sexual surrogacy is a trained professional who works in a three-way therapeutic team with a clinician, the client and the sex surrogate. And the sex surrogate is basically trained to work in the whole sexual arc of an adult romantic relationship. So that does include intercourse, if that's what the client is needing to explore. So say they're a virgin or say they're wanting to work on early ejaculation. um, That is a place where a person can go to explore sex in a very, very safe container with people who are trained to be there to be with you, to help you uncover stuff. So like extreme phobias or... Um, right, adult virginity, those types of things. So freaking cool! I love and the way that it, like that. and the way that it works. Basically, is like the client will meet with the practitioner, mm-hmm. and then um, the client will meet with the surrogate, and then the surrogate will call the practitioner, tell them what happened. Then you'll meet again with the client. The client will tell you what happened. So there's this team that is helping the client really grow and understand. And the clinician's role in that is to you know uh, help navigate some of the complex emotions that can come up as mm. as physical intimacy can deepen because the the surrogacy has an arc to it and it will end as many adult relationships do and part of actually the work with surrogacy is learning what is it to end authentically mm. and honestly and how does that feel so it's a beautiful beautiful it's beautiful work surrogates are angels literally all the ones i've worked with are angels they are coming down from heaven and helping people who are in desperate need. So love that. Didn't even know that was a thing. Sounds magical for sure. It's much more on the West coast. Oh, I'm sure. sure. Yeah. (laughs) Not in Arkansas. (laughs) No, no. no. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I think I need a sex surrogate, you're going to have to travel if you're in the Midwest or East coast. (laughs) Are you ready to move on to point number two, which was delayed ejaculation? Let's do it. Oh, delayed ejaculation. Yes. (laughs) Right. So one of the things I always really like to share. So I think talking about a delayed ejaculation is really, really, really important, especially for men. 
right? We sort of normalize it with women. Women take a long time to orgasm. That's sort of something I think most people at this point are aware of and, and sort of take as to be normal, no big deal. And what's true is that for some men, it can be really, really difficult to find a, an ejaculation. And there is a lot of pressure that they typically put themselves under to find their ejaculation, which puts them further away from being able to find that. And um, it's often, um, you know, something that can be very difficult for their partners to understand if we're talking, you know, mostly about um, heterosexual dynamics, women feel like, oh, I'm not sexy enough. You're not turned on by me. If I was just totally my pussy's or... not tight enough. Right. Right. And you feel anything inside me. I'm not making the right noises. All of these things that women can put on themselves. And what's true is that delayed ejaculation is a very, very complicated um, sexual struggle. When I work with clients, I tell them minimum six months before you're going to see any progress. And this is going to feel slow and it's going to get messy and we're going to go in a lot of different directions. And it's really sort of moving through definitely the way people are exploring touching themselves in masturbation because in these situations, most men are able to ejaculate by themselves mm -hmm they're just not able to with the partner. So there's two primary ways humans are having sex. They're solo practice mm -hmm. and partnered pra partner or partnered practice. So one or more people. And oftentimes in these situations by themselves, they're able to ejaculate. Mm -hmm. And there is work or um, practice around how you touch yourself that would allow you to find your pleasure with a partner. And also having another person in the room can be extremely vulnerable and extremely disruptive to the nervous system. And for some people just super, super new, if they you know, grew up masturbating completely alone and didn't have a partner till later on and specifically overuse of porn can really contribute to the delayed ejaculation piece. Um, although not always, it did exist before porn uh, came on this came on the screen. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a really, really interesting one, but I think a really, really important one for us all to be talking about and starting to normalize that it happens for some men. Mm. Yeah. This one, I have a little bit of knowledge about not even firsthand experience, but I have a good friend where her husband was that way. And she'd confide in me and say, like, I'm so frustrated. We will just right. fuck forever and wait, trying to get him to orgasm. Right. And I'm like laying there and I'm like, oh my God, would you please finish on that? Like, I just, I need to go make dinner. <laughs> I need to go to work, you know? Right, right, um, right. And right. then to your point of, of the masturbation, um, I have found this to be really fascinating that some men masturbate in a very specific way that right. doesn't, can't be mimicked in a vagina, or there's mm -hmm. a special kink at the end that they do that right. again, can't be mimicked with one person. Um, right. if you're listening to this and you're like, wow, I had no idea. You're probably just masturbating so totally normally, <laughs> right? <laughs> you probably don't have right. this, but this to me is a really fascinating one. Right. It really, really is. And I mean, for people partnered with delayed orgasm folks, it, it can be a big challenge because you don't, 
I think I definitely have had partners with this as well. And you're sort of in your head, you're like, okay, well, how much longer? And if I'd call it now, like, but it, are they close? And, you know, it sort of becomes mm. this game of chasing the orgasm. Mm. And, you know, it's like saying, don't think about a purple elephant. It's impossible not to think about too. So that's why the the progression towards healing can take so long because it's just, it's sort of a, it's also just a minefield around intimacy wounds too. It, it can have a lot mm. of um, threads into safety and trust and closeness oh. and oftentimes safety and being able to release is that it being able to be myself and to feel safe enough that I can relax mm. into my pleasure and yeah release mm. around another that's person. yummy work and yeah. I'm mentally doing all kinds of interesting gymnastics <laughs> over here because like the <laughs> prostitute that just popped in my mind I can imagine this one being a little bit more workable and fun and that if your partner does feel comfortable masturbating in front of you, right, that's an easy pull that out, finish right on your belly or your boobs mm -hmm. or somewhere fun, you know, right. on your booty. Right. I don't know. And at least they'll at least be able to have a shared experience in the right. orgasm. Is that something that could be a solution or is that typically not something that happens with this type? Right. So the progression to being able to, which most men that I work with, you know, are heteronormative. And so they are wanting to be able to orgasm within a pussy. And the progression to that actually starts with being able to orgasm. It depends where we're starting from. And this is actually very similar to how I work with women who struggle to find orgasm as well is like, if you can find orgasm solo, which some women cannot. So that makes it much more complicated. But if you can find orgasm solo, the first step is actually to tell your partner, hey, I'm going to go masturbate mm -hmm. while they're like in the kitchen and the door mm -hmm. is shut and you go and do that. And then you notice what is it like to just have that energetic link to your partner. Mm -hmm. Then the next step, and this is also assuming that we're changing the way that people are masturbating because we want them to not be doing the same thing that they were doing in terms of looking at porn or the way that they're touching themselves. We want it to mimic a pussy as much as possible, which may mean bringing in something like a flashlight or a male sex toy okay. that is, takes away that possibility of using your fingers in a very special way. I normally say like your, your fingers are so dexterous. They are doing brain surgery. Some people's fingers are doing brain surgery. So the things that they're doing yes. to your cock, I want to talk about this in a minute. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's something your no one's pussy will ever be able to do. Mm -hmm. So that's why we want to shift away from the hand play into toy play. But the first step would be being able to orgasm, knowing that your partner knows you're doing it, then having your partner outside the door, then having mm. your partner inside the door. Mm -hmm. And right. So you're like, mm, that's sexy. I that is that. super fucking people, hot. Yeah. But for people who have delayed ejaculations, it's actually terrifying oh. for the most part because the the there's something that happens around partner play mm. most of the time deep deep down and this is typically subconscious actually yeah. or someone else knowing or getting caught or right. being wrong or right oh my gosh I just want to hug all the men that feel this way <laughs> me too yeah that's why I feel actually very very oh, proud of the work that I do I because, love this I love yeah. this and some of the hottest sexual play before even intercourse foreplay that we do um every now and then and I forget that how hot it is is <laughs> to masturbate in front of each other to mm. watch your partner please right. themselves and yeah. so Scott and I have been 
together. We've been partnered a little over a year and I'm still learning his body and I'm still learning the way he strokes his own cock. And so it's so much fun to watch him. Sometimes I'll be like, can I just watch? Can you Mm -hmm. just do it again? Cause I want to like get that hand thing that you do. So that was interesting that you mentioned this, that, that the fingers are doing brain surgery. And the hard part is as a woman, you don't know how your man is touching himself. Like you can't get into his head or feel his fingers. And so I found, um, this is like our, and also just to say delayed ejaculators will do very specific things at very specific points in their arousal with speed too. So it's not only things it's where and it's and it's speed related. So it's like up, up, stop, up, 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 stop. Really? Up, up, down, down. Yeah. Wow. Very, very, very specific. So that's the part that when mm. we talk about how they're practicing, that we the the, the physical piece that is difficult to mimic with another person. So yeah, that sounds impossible. It, yeah, so it's I, not. It's not even to be aspired to. The yeah. the the practice would be: can we expand that person's put uh options into orgasm yes it's not like can we get someone else to can you imagine you're in someone you're like up up down <laughs> left right stop <laughs> you're line dancing or something <laughs> right softer softer yeah yeah no, it would be impo- it would be Got impossible it, <laughs> right 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 I'm so sorry. I'm not making fun of anyone that masturbates this way. I totally no. get you do you, but when you're in a vagina, it's not the same. So I love <laughs> that you brought up things like a flashlight and kind of um, modern, not modernizing, mainstreaming the way that men are, are are orgasming. Can I, I'm always like, how do we fix them while they're young? <laughs> not fix them, but how do we train them while they're young so that they right. maybe don't have some of these struggles? I really want to use the word dysfunction. That's not very nice. Mm. And so I love the word struggle. Right. As well, it's hard because we come from a medical model and, and I think actually what you're talking about is specifically what happens for us, all of us in the Western society is that this all becomes a a medical model versus a question of, or, or, um, what is pleasure? And how do we, as a society, talk about things that are pleasurable? How do we enjoy our meals? And how do we, you know, romance language cultures, like they Mm -hmm. don't struggle at, you know, as deeply, I think, as more westernized America in many regards. So, you know, what does it look like for, what would it look like for children to be Mm -hmm. raised thinking about pleasure more than just specifically sex. I mean, we can talk about pleasure from so many different aspects, mm. relaxing, taking breaths. Um, if you have children, you know, letting your, your children see you enjoy sitting down and, you know, doing your nails or whatever it is that will carry over also into as an adult, how are you letting yourself enjoy? What does pleasure look like? Oh, that's yummy. Yeah. I right. Totally- Cause a lot of times that right? The clients that I work with, when I ask them, like, what kind of pleasure did your parents engage with? This is very specific, actually, for early ejaculators. They, when I asked them what, you know, what was your lifestyle like around, or what were your parents' lifestyle with pleasure? um, They will often say, oh, zero. They just worked all the time. That's, you know, 90% of early ejaculators will report that their parents just worked. They just saw hard work all the time doesn't really lend itself to pleasure (laughs) at all. No. And if there was pleasure, it was happening 
while they were asleep, right? Like while the kid was asleep and it was in hiding and silence and with the lights on and the covers and all the things, right? Right. Right. This is fascinating. Uh, (laughs) Cool. Yeah. Cause I always think like, cause my kids are teenagers, they're young Mm -hmm. teenagers and they're in that sweet spot of like, I'm trying really hard not to fuck them up and Mm -hmm. talking about how pleasure is our birthright and trying to not be like that weird mom. that's like, Hey, let's talk about masturbation often. Um, so yeah, I wonder sometimes how do we set our kids up for success so that they have really healthy sex lives? Right. Right. It's a really good question. That's great. I mean, the fact that you're even just thinking about it means that they're most likely going to be great. Just the fact that it's even on your conscious brain to be thinking about these types of things, knowing that they could come to you if they needed to, or that I'm imagining if you're thinking about it, you're trying to model it just Absolutely. that's just sort of how it happens and much more comes across in modeling than direct conversations children are picking up on things my clients tell me stories it's shocking how much they pick up on they really do this makes so. me feel good right because if my <laughs> kids were asked this question as an adult how did your parents model pleasure right I feel like they could go on and on. Like my mm-hmm. mom is the queen of self-care. She was always going to get massages right. and facials and her hair right. done. And she likes right. to feel good in her body. She worked right. out five days a week. Um, right. I saw my parents making right. out in the kitchen daily. Mm-hmm. Like I know they have sex. Sometimes I hear them, even though I'm shouldn't be. And they're probably right. too loud. Right. Like they know mm-hmm. that we are um, embodied. Like we're right. an embodied household, which mm-hmm. is really great. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. That's huge. That's a huge, huge part of how ultimately a human feels about their erotic world inside is what they saw. Mm. That's great. Yay for you. Yay for not (laughs) fucking up my kids. I mean, we're all, it's all of our goals, right? I mean, you've got a teeny little bitty one, so you're probably already thinking about that. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) It'll be fine. Don't worry. Are you ready to move into erectile dysfunction? Let's do it. ED. Yeah. Most popular. Everybody knows about Viagra. Right, right. Viagra came on the scene and, you know, I think Viagra did something really interesting, which was suddenly the men who couldn't get hard can now get hard. And most of the time, uh, performance and male performance enhancers can override the whatever is happening that's keeping the, um, arousal from happening. But that's not always the case, actually. You know, um, sometimes there is such a strong whatever is getting in the way of arousal showing up that the performance enhancers don't actually keep men erect or allow them to get erect. So that's always a really, really interesting one. But, you know, ED is actually, I think of it as like a really, really great and fun one because it's an exploration into what really turns men on and what's standing in the way of turning them on. And yeah, not all of it's fun because of course, sometimes you, you know, venture most of the time into people's, you know, histories of wounds of what happened around uh, shame and um, places where they felt really hurt as a, a child. But also there's this whole wonderful world of getting to explore like what what turns you on? And like, what a great question to ask and what a great thing to explore. (laughs) And so it's like, can we help you find out what turns you on? And I think what becomes really tricky for most men um, is 
what, well, and this is for all humans. And I've been on like a big soapbox about this for the last like six to eight months, which is like our sexuality changes as we age. And so this idea that like, oh, this particular stroke or this particular thing or this fetish or this type of eye contact or this type of kissing or that look of a person, whatever, is going to turn me on to the, for the rest of my life. It's, it's just not true. I mean, mm-hmm. we, I think we really have to get out of this like once, like once I find it, it's going to be there for forever, which I think actually makes sex more fun, especially in long-term relationships because oh, yeah. it's always shifting and growing. But I think as men progress out of um, their early adolescence where, you know, you're getting erect when the wind blows into a more real erotic energy where it's like you actually need some type of stimulation sometimes, and there's a really interesting thing that happens between like 27, 28 and like 32, 34 uh, that I've seen where a lot of men like suddenly come into ED issues. Um, I'm not a doctor. I don't study hormones, but I've seen so many men in that stage. I really question like, is there a hormonal thing that happens for Mm -hmm. men at that point? And the way that I talk about it with my clients is like, you're, it feels like for most of them, they're suddenly actually needing stimulation and it does mm-hmm. feel sudden for most of them. Like they went from just like the wind blowing and erections happening to, I, I actually need stimulation. And you visual, mean manual? Oh, any of it. Okay. Or, or actual contact on my cock to get erect. Like no longer mm-hmm. can I eat my girlfriend's pussy and just get hard. Yeah. Like I eat her pussy and I'm still not hard. What's wrong with me? I must have ED versus like, oh no, you're just entering into what I think of as like a more mature sexuality where you get to really dig in and figure out what turns you on. How do you start to communicate and ask for that? Mm. How do you let other people know what's sexy for you? And and learning about your body because a lot of people don't actually even know they're not they haven't taken the time or felt safe enough to have that curiosity in a partnership or with themselves to learn like what actually Mm. is arousing for them this is so sexy and hot and like this has (laughs) been this week's theme as i have been having communication with people it has um i'm having this conversation with a guy right now where we keep talking back and forth about men's pleasure and he's very embodied and he's you know mm-hmm. but it, and i'm like how did you get there and there's so many men that don't what i've found in my experience is that a lot of men can't actually feel from the neck down maybe they can feel like their face and their dick like that's it and then they don't know that there's like well and interesting they only feel their dick when it's hard and only when it's hard So there's like a million erogenous zones that I also think women don't take the time to find. And men are like, please nibble on my collarbone. Like, please find that place in my inner right Right. thigh. So can you talk a little bit maybe about pleasure mapping? I think that's a good way to do it. Or do you have a different exercise that helps um, A, a partner find, you know, their man's spots. I think it's also important for men to find their own spots and like how to open yourself to feeling and being embodied. That's a whole thing. That's that's like like six months of work. That's like six months of, of work, but (laughs) weekly. (laughs) Um, well, I think where I would start with, with people, especially couples is actually blueprint typing them with the erotic blueprints because, what can happen is if you have a sexual 
in the mix. Mm -hmm. They don't find value in anything other than their genitals. Or maybe nipples sometimes. Sexual. sexual. I'm a shapeshifter, but okay. like me too. my highest is sexual. So I totally ah, understand okay. that. Okay. My my husband is a sexual kinky and I'm uh-huh. a shapeshifter, much more leaning, dark, energetic, um, top one. Oh. So yeah, what what's really interesting is um in terms of like body mapping, it's actually taken him I would say like three and a half years. Is that right? I don't know. Time gets funny with the pandemic of really active, consistent conversations around the type of touch that my body wants and the type of energy that I'm looking to run in my body. And in the beginning, we would kind of go back and forth because I was like, well, you must like this. Like everyone likes this. Like, yeah. of course. And, and what we found over time is like, he, he leans so strongly into that sexual that he doesn't really, he's not really into the, into other parts of his body, particularly. Like, he doesn't really care about massage. Sure. He'll take it, especially mm-hmm. if he's like feeling stiff or something, but for him, that's actually not where a ton of juice is sexually. And so he'll, if I want to touch him, yeah he'll go along with it, but he's not like wanting to be fed in that way. So I also just want to normalize for people like that may also be true for you. And so it's navigating in your couple. How how does that look? And one of the really tough things for a sexual, which luckily my husband is very open-minded and very curious. I would not have married him if he was not. Um, But what can be really tough. And I see over and over and over again with my couples that I work with is that the sexual has a really hard time understanding why anyone else would ever need anything else. Like, why do we have to go to the whole body? uh, If we can just go to intercourse or we can just go to fingering, you know, or whatever, like, why can't we just go to the sex part? So sometimes it's like, (laughs) I have to sell the whole idea of like, other people's bodies like different things and not sexy for them. Um, so that would be where I would start most of the time with people is making sure that we're all in agreement that that's a valuable and important place. And then as far as the mapping goes, there's infinite, I think I have, I could probably come up with like 10 games right in this moment that I like to play with (laughs) clients around how to start to find them. But the main place to start with, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're wanting to explore it, the main piece to start with would be first off is to just slow down. Slow everything down. Mindfulness is the key to finding pleasure. I, I, I normally tell people it's like, you can learn all the tips and tricks But if you're not there and able to feel them in your body, your good sex will always just be good. It will never be amazing. Mm. It will just be good enough. Because really what amazing sex comes down to is like, can you really fully inhabit and live in your skin and in your whole entire body? So that is like the first place. So that would be breath, any sort of mindfulness practices, any sort of meditation awareness. Um, there's tons and tons of information out there on that. They, people, when people talk about these things in the mainstream world that you'll find, um, they'll often skip over genital areas. So you'll have to put them back in yourself. Remember to feel into your pussy. Remember to feel into your cock, your pelvic bowl. Sometimes 
practitioners will talk about genitals, but oftentimes most people in the meditation community are going to just skip over like most folks do the whole genital region. So that's a really, really big part of learning, being able to learn pleasure in your body is being able to feel your body from the inside and the skin um, and the skin sensation. So then as you're feeling into your partner's body, you want to come up with a communication method. Um, one of the exercises I like to play with couples is called active receiving. So you pick a touch zone, uh, you, you personally would pick a touch zone, your partner would agree to that zone. So say I pick my arm and you would come and touch my arm. And mm. when something feels good, I take a bigger, more full, deep breath. And then eventually moving into when something feels good, making a little noise, just like you did, because <laughs> you're probably feeling it because you're so I'm like moaning good. for you. I'm like, that feels so good. <laughs> and then the next step would be moving your arm as the touch is happening. Mm-hmm. And then the, the final step, step four would be communicating. Oh, I really like that. That feels good. I like when you do that. So there's a lot of skill building that I think happens around people learning how to communicate and feel into their bodies. But step number one is just being able to agree that it's important to be on our bodies and then other and touch is important then learning how to feel your body and then starting to communicate and explore. So Mm. again, that's why I was like six months of work there. (laughs) Easy. Yeah. I mean, you just gave us like a tiny little taste. (laughs) Believe it or not, this podcast has come to an end. I don't know how this went by so fast because I felt like we could just keep going, but now I have to jump on a call. So let's wrap this up. If you would tell everybody where to find you, it's, I I loved how you dropped several times throughout this podcast. Oh, I do six month programs on that. (laughs) Like this is probably a year, but there's so many different things that you can work with, with you. I see so many possibilities where even within my own life, I could be like, fuck it. I probably need to go work on that. How do people find you and where can they see all your services? Yeah. Yes. So the best way to find me is my website, which is my first and last name, K-E-E-L-E-Y Rankin, R-A-N-K-I-N. And from my website, you'll be able to navigate to all the different courses that I have um, and blogs that I've written, all the podcasts that I've done. You'll be on there, of course. Thank you. Um, And... um, Yes, I definitely, I work with individuals and couples, single people, poly people, lots of different folks. And I also have um, coaches that I'm training uh, that are already very well-trained master's degrees, licensed therapists that are working on growing and expanding their relationship with pleasure and how to help folks with pleasure too. So got lots of things going on on that website. You can also mm-hmm. find me on my Instagram, which is Keely Rankin Sex Coach. And there is Twitters and Facebooks, all of those things all under the same name. So awesome. Well, I will put a link in the show notes to your website and Instagram. I find people love to just instantly connect yeah. to Insta. It's so easy. Um, and I'm so excited that you joined us today. This was yes. really interesting. I've never done a podcast like this before. It feels super valuable. It is. Love to have yeah. you come back on. I know we there's a couple other topics that we talked about. So as uh, you get ready for those, we'll have you come back on and we'll talk Perfect. about something even spicier. I'm just amazing. Gonna drop that in there. Wonderful. Thank you. Have an amazing day.